Okay. So, welcome everyone. Um, decided to call this Bible study Lifting the Veil. The reason is that a veil, as we know, is something that covers the bride when there's a wedding. Don't have them too often anymore. At least I don't see them too often in weddings anymore. But it used to be very common. And where it started from was mostly from arranged marriages where the groom may not even have seen the bride prior to the wedding. And so the lifting of the veil was the letting the, the, the groom see the bride for the very first time. I know there's a television show, what's it called, Tanya? Uh, Married at First Sight. Married at First Sight. That um, they actually do that. They, they get married having just met the person at the altar. So uh, a lot of times it works out, a lot of times it doesn't. But anyway, lifting the veil is like an uncovering. And that's kind of what I want to do with this Bible study. Uncover things that you may not know about in the Bible. Why? Because I have one goal. One goal only. If I can get just one person to get more interested in reading the Bible, then I've done my job. Now, if all of you get more interested in reading the Bible, then praise God. And he's the one who made it happen if that happens. But, and really, even if just one person does, it's God too. But that's the whole goal of this, is to show you some things that you may not have known so that you can say, you know, maybe I will read the Bible. That sounds pretty interesting. You can discover these things for yourself. So that's the whole goal of this Bible study. Is there anybody who wants to leave now? Did I misrepresent it? Or Okay, so we're good. Um, we got a couple people watching on Facebook now. Very good. So I just want to ask this question, and you don't have to answer, but is there anybody who has ever read the Bible all the way through in here tonight? Okay, there's a few. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we've talked. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Um, is there anybody who has never, ever read the Bible at all? Okay. That's fine. So we got all kinds of people. Now, is there anybody here that reads the Bible every day? Okay, good. Notice my hand didn't go up. I need to get better at that. But I have read it through several times, and each time I read it through, the Lord shows me new things that just kind of tie everything together, and he lifts that veil just a little bit more. So hopefully, by the end of this, you'll at least be reading the Bible more, if not every day. And maybe even some of you might read the Bible all the way through. Now, when I say all the way through, what about those crazy places like at the end of Joshua or at the beginning of 1 Chronicles or um, at the end of Exodus, beginning of Matthew, genealogies, and those, they had this many bowls, this many plates, this many spoons, and they go through it 12 times. They do that for a reason, okay? And that's one of the things we're going to learn about is why they go through that so many times, and why all those genealogies? Not all that tonight, but that's one of the things that we will cover over the next few weeks. So I'm going to show you tips and tricks also for reading the Bible. Like, it's okay, if you're reading the Bible all the way through for the first time, it's okay to skip the first seven chapters of First Chronicles. 
because it's seven chapters, maybe eight, I think, actually, of, yeah, you don't need to put your name on it. <laughs> I know how to get a hold of you. Um, eight chapters of genealogies. It's okay to skip that the first time through. In fact, I've only read that all the way through twice of all the times I've read through the Bible. I, a lot of times I'll skip it. But it is important, or it wouldn't be there. So that's, you know, things like that that I'll teach you a long way. And then I'm going to answer your questions. So does anybody have any questions before we begin? Anything that you want to know? Like, I, I really want to find this out at this Bible study. No? I'm sure some of you do, just don't want to ask. Okay, but that's okay. Maybe by the end you'll want to ask some questions. So anytime you have a question, just blurt it out. You can raise your hand if you want. You can blurt it out. Or you can come up here, you can come up to the microphone, or you can come up here and shake the table and say, answer my question. It doesn't matter how you do it. It's very informal here tonight. So the first thing I wanted to cover is how the Bible is put together. Um, because a lot of times people won't read it because they, they say things like this. I don't understand it. I don't have time. It's unorganized. It's too big. Have you ever said that? Oh, yeah. I've said it too. But the Bible is not like a novel where you can open it up and there's a beginning and there's an end and then everything in between kind of leads to the story and there's cliffhangers. It's not like that. If you want a novel, go to the library, go to Amazon. But there are parts of the Bible that read like a novel. Okay? Like the book of Esther, for example, is a great story. It's not real long. You could read it in one day. And you, it's like reading a novel. And the book of Ruth is the same way. It's really, really small. So there are things like that that are like novel-like. But then there's things like Leviticus, which is the third book of the Bible. And it is very boring. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Um, there are a couple of chapters that you know, like, oh, hey, this is a good story going on right here. And then it's just a few pages, and it's back to the mundane sundry laws. But it's in there for a reason. So one of the things that we, one of the two ways we can look at the Bible, it's history, poetry, prophecy, the Gospels, and then letters. And somebody might say, what about uh, Revelation? That's part of prophecy. Prophecy is not just Old Testament Revelation is prophecy of the New Testament. So it's broken down into five parts. There's a lot of history, there's poetry, prophecy, the four Gospels, and then the epistles or letters that people wrote to various people or churches. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is the instruction or the law, which is also known as the Torah, prophecy, also known as Nevi'im, and writings, Ketavim. And then there's the Gospels, history, letters, and prophecy. So you see letters and prophecy are in there twice, history's in there twice, and Gospels. But the reason it's broken out this way in the seven is this is the first three parts of that, instruction, law, prophecy, and writings on this page that I'm looking at. And by the way, if you're on Facebook um, and you want to download this, there's a link on the Belair first UMC page, a link to a Google Drive where you can download this PDF and read for yourself. But the reason it's broken out like this is 
this is the way it was originally intended to be with the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Kedavim, is the Old Testament, okay? And then the New Testament was broken into the Gospels, history, letters, and prophecy. So the Old Testament was three parts, the New Testament was four parts. Now the, the Old Testament, three parts, if you take those first three letters of Torah, Nevi'im, and Kedavim, you get TNK. Okay? If you talk to a Jewish person, they may mention something called the Tanakh, TNK. That is, to them, the Bible. That's the Old Testament. That's the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Kedavim, the TNK, the Tanakh. They may also refer to something that, known as the Penta, Pentateuch. Okay? Penta meaning five. Um, I'm not sure what tuk means. It's a Greek term, Pentateuch, which is basically the first five books of the Bible, or what they refer to as the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. So these numbers, five and seven, they're not by coincidence. They are, they are purposely laid out that way. Because as people were studying the Bible, they started to realize, and this was way, way back, this isn't a modern thing, this is way back, they started to realize that God has patterns, and these numbers mean something. So if you look at the next page, I go through some of the, the meanings of the numbers. Now, I tell you, we could do an entire Bible study on just the numbers in the Bible. Not the book of numbers, the numbers when you see three days later or seven people did this, or 10 people came and did this. Those numbers are all extremely significant. And throughout this study, I will pull out at various times what they mean and why that number is the way it is. But this is kind of like a guideline. And really, there's only seven numbers that are really important. After that, up 8 through 14 are important as well, and they have different meanings, but it really starts to dwindle after 14. Now, there are significant numbers like 20, 30, and 40, 70, but the most important numbers are 1 through 14, and really, the greatest importance is 1 through 7. Did you know 7 was such an important number? It is used more than any other number in the Bible. I think I put it in here. Yeah, 730 times... Unless we include the word seventh or sevenfold, then it jumps up to 860. That's a lot. Now, there's some numbers like nine, I think, is only used maybe 20 times in the Bible. But you can read through that and you can see one, God is one, God is holy. He, Jesus said, I am in the Father, I and the Father are one. I am in him and he is in me and I will be in you, and we will be one. So one is super important because God is one. It means holy. You know why there's the Old Testament and New Testament? Because it's two. It's purposely, God purposely did it that way. Because every matter, this is from the book of Deuteronomy, every matter shall be confirmed by the witness of two or more. So if you think someone's lying... 
Find someone else. See if they said they're lying. And if it's confirmed by two people, okay, now be careful with that one. <laughs> but that is, that is biblical, though. That he, the Bible tells us to, if you feel somebody's doing something wrong, get somebody else, confront the person. And then, then beyond that, if they don't agree, if they won't listen to reason, then there's other things you can do. But you always want to have at least two people because every matter is confirmed by the witness of two or more. That's why we have the clock is broken down, even more reasons why it's broken down into 12s, but there's two parts to the day. There's the first 12 hours and the second 12 hours. And there's morning and there's evening, and a man and a woman shall join together and become one. Not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman, a man and a woman shall be one. Okay. Um, so three, how many people think three is about the Trinity? Nobody wants to raise their hand. <laughs> no, it's really not so much about the Trinity. Um, not going to get into the, the debate about the Trinity, but it's the, when you see three in the Bible, it's not so much about the Trinity. It is about harmony and holiness. Harmony and holiness. And it happens the second most number of times in the Bible. You'll see the number three. There's a lot of significance to three, and we will cover a lot of that in this study. Number four, a lot of people have different opinions on number four, but my, in my studies over the years, I have found more proof for number four being about Jesus than anything else. Let's start with four Gospels, for example which all talk about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all about Jesus, four. There is, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but if we were to look at the very first sentence of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, it's seven words. There's that seven again, okay? The first word is seven letters. Seven's very, very significant. But anyway, the fourth word is not in your Bible. It is not translated. The fourth word in Hebrew is the word et, E-T. It's not extraterrestrial. It's not the, the little guy that, from Steven Spielberg movie. Et is the Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and Tav, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He is the beginning and the end. So that fourth Messiah word is Aleph, the beginning, and Tav, the end. And it's right next to the word Elohim. And they are essentially one word. And that's why it's only translated as God. So did anybody know that before tonight? <laughs> That's the kind of thing that I'm going to show you to dig things out like that over the next few weeks. So the number four is extremely, extremely, extremely important. And even so much so that I will show you, like, I'll, I'll kind of throw this out there, and we'll cover it more when we get to it in a couple weeks. The day Jesus came into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, right? That was the first day. And then there were four days in between, 
And then there were three days in between. It all adds up to eight when we get done with it, but it's extremely important that he came in on a specific day, that he died on a specific day, that he rose from the grave on a specific day. And it's insanely important. We just say, Jesus is risen, and he is. But the significance of that week, and I'll show you the numbers and how it all works together in a couple of weeks. All right, uh, number five, faith, grace, and mercy. And each of these words has five letters too. And I don't know if this is true. I've heard this, but I've never really taken time to figure this out, if it's true. But I did look up a few, like Spanish and French and a few other languages. Faith and grace, at least, I don't know about mercy, are all five letters in all those languages. That's pretty amazing. You see, God's in control. We may think that we're doing a lot on our own, but God's controlling everything even the, the number of letters in our words for a significant reason. Number six is this number of man. You may have heard of the term 666, for is the number of man, six being three times. Again, there's three, but this is an unholy, an unholiness, if you will, 666. But six is the number of man. Why? Because it falls one short of seven, which is God's number. It is the most perfect number. It's the most perfect number, number seven. And it means completion and perfection. How many days did God take to create the world? Seven days. Why do we still have seven days in our week? Why don't we have eight days in a week? Because nobody wants to work for six days and only have two off, right? <laughs> I know that I would rather have four days and then three off, but, well, that's another story. But yes, it's very significant how these numbers all come into play in our life. Um, but once we move beyond seven, it's now a combination. So seven, perfection, plus one, holiness, equals eight, new beginnings. Anytime you see the number eight in the Bible, it's about new beginnings, okay? You'll see a lot of times on the eighth day or the day after the Sabbath and something new happens. It's always a new beginning. And we'll find some of those in there in the Bible as well. Number nine is judgment, but also divine completeness. Divine completeness because it is seven and two, or the perfection of God and the witness of God. But it depends on, most of the time it's used for judgment. And it's, I think it's the least significant number in the Bible. I think it's only 23 times or something like that. Number 10 is witness of faith. This is a, probably, it's right up there in the number of uses with, it's pretty close to three. And there's um, the 10 tribes of Israel and the two tribes of Israel. They were split. We'll talk about that too. Then there's the 10 virgins in Matthew 25. Um, there's all kinds of places where 10 is extremely significant. 11 is disorder and chaos. Do you guys know, remember, what was his name? The Palestinian guy, the, um, Yasser Arafat. You know what day he died? November 11th, 11-11. Do you think he died just because that was his day to die? Or do you think God had something to do with that? 
I think God has something to do with it because 11 is for disorder and chaos, which leads to judgment. I think it's extremely significant that Yasser Arafat died on 11-11. And then 12 is God's government or completeness of a nation, 12 hours in each part of our day, a.m. and p.m. 13 is rebellion and lawlessness, not used that very often, but it will come up. And 14 is the double witness of, per, of perfection, 7 and 7, and also for deliverance. 14 is used in genealogies a lot. If we turn to Matthew chapter 1, we'll read 14 people until you, get, you go from Adam to Abraham, 14. Abraham to David, 14. And, and I may be wrong about the names, but it's, it's always broken down into 14 people. Okay, so with that, I'm going to point out a few of these things tonight, but um, does anybody have any questions about the numbers? Anybody sleeping yet? How are we doing on Facebook? Let's see if we got any comments. Oh, the download link to the study guide is on the church website too. Okay. Thank you, Kathy. I will make sure I get it to you soon enough so you can put that up there each week. Okay. Um, oh, and before I forget, each week I'm going to give you a, a memory verse, a verse to remember because it's extremely important to remember, remember verses. I won't pick anything really hard but or something you may not know. I try to always pick something that you either know or you've, I know you've at least heard probably. And today's is John 3, 3, and I'm going to read it to you. So if, again, you don't have to do any of this if you don't want to, but if you want to, I think it's a good idea to pick your favorite verses and be able to just recite them at any time. Like, does anybody know John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 3, now your Bible may be a little different than mine, Jesus responded and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it's okay to say, if someone says, what's John 3, 3? Oh, oh, that's the born again verse. If that's all you remember, that's okay. But if you remember it word for word, that's good too. But if you just know John 3, 3 is the born again verse. And why is that important? Because because of what it means to be born again. And I don't want to turn this into a sermon. I'll save it for a Sunday sometime. But it is extremely important to understand the term born again. Because to be born is to come alive. And we, I'll just be brief about it. We are born spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. We're born physically alive. We're still all here physically alive. I don't see anybody who's fallen over yet. Okay, good. <laughs> but we are born spiritually dead. So when we're born again, we are born spiritually alive. And that's how we get to heaven, by being born again. Okay, so John 3.3 3 is the memory verse, and then there's also a homework assignment each week. And again, you don't have to do this, but I'm going to give you three or four different passages. Some will be longer than others. And 
I encourage you to read at least one, or maybe all of them. Because not every time, but in some cases, that's something that we're going to cover the following week. Sometimes it'll be something we cover this, this week when it is in here. And some of them just may be something that came to mind, and I wrote it down. Like Psalm 91. We, I don't know, maybe we will end up using it next week, but it came to mind, so I wrote it down. But um, Ruth, we're going to talk about next week. Ruth, because it's really, really important. And I want to really show you why it's one of the smallest books in the Bible, but so insanely significant. Okay, so if you don't read anything else, try to read in Ruth 1 through 4. It, like, that's four chapters, Pastor Phil. Come on. No, it's going to take you half hour, maybe an hour at most. It's not very long, okay? So before we go any further, I want to address a couple of the things that I had on the first page. This is a very big book. My particular Bible here has, now I have large print, so it's going to be more pages because I can't see very well, but my, mine has 1,317 pages. 1,317 pages of the Bible. Have you ever read a book that was over, over 400 pages even? I have a couple of times, but I never read Moby Dick, never read War and Peace. They're too big. But I have read the Bible several times, okay? And it took me, sometimes it took me a couple years. The quickest I ever did it was in 90 days. And it was... But don't try that, because that was like the, the last time I read it all the way through recently was 90 days, but that was like the sixth or seventh time. So it, you can't read it in 90 days and really understand it, but if you've read it several times, you can read it in 90 days and, and get a lot out of it. But anyway, it's a lot. It is an awful lot, sure, but have you ever walked in a 5K or ran in a 5K, anybody? No? Okay, ever ride a bike about five miles? Okay, how about drive to the beach? Anybody ever do that? Takes a long time, doesn't it? Okay, what I'm getting at is when, you, when you're in a 5K, you don't start off and say, oh my gosh, I can't do this, that's 3.3 that's miles. No, you say, I'm gonna get to the first mile marker. Then I'm gonna get to the second mile marker. Then by the time you get to the third mile marker, you're almost done, if you're still walking. Or if you ride your bike five miles. I, I made Tanya do that once, poor girl. <laughs> She'll never do it again. Five miles is a warm-up for me. <laughs> but anyway, you don't look at it as five miles. I told her, let's just go for a little bike ride. And then I said, hey, we just rode five miles. She'll never do it again. But anyway, you start out just, if you think about how incredibly much it is, you're going to fail right from the start. Okay. But when you look at it as, I gotta take that first step, I gotta take that first pedal, I gotta make that first mile towards that 400 mile trip to the beach or 700 miles or whatever it may be, wherever you're going, the destination is worth it, isn't it? If you're going to the beach, the destination's worth it. You're going to the mountains or where, anywhere on vacation, the destination's worth it. But sometimes you have to drive or fly and yeah, we don't want to face that, but we do it anyway because of what comes out at the end, right? What comes out at the end of this is a changed life. A changed life. 
Anytime you read, if you just read John 3, 3 this week, your life has changed. How? I, I don't know. But I can promise you that if you read any part of the Bible, one sentence, one chapter, one book, your life's going to change because God wants it to change. And I think we've already established that he's in control of everything. Just look at these numbers. Think of the, how the numbers impact our lives. Seven days in a week, morning and evening, 12 hours, and then 12 hours again. The numbers are important. So, and God has controlled all of that so that we would be living this. You know, yes, he gives us free choice, free will, but he also is working. So when you read the Bible, he's working. He is going to change your life. You may not see it right away, but he will. If you believe that, would you not want to read even just one sentence? Who wouldn't want to? If, the, if you know that it can change your life that much, even if you just read one sentence a day, just open it up and say, okay, then Jeremiah said to all the people, including all the women, hear the word of the Lord. All of Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Okay. I don't know what it means, but I just read it. Now, if you approach it as, well, I'm just going to read it because God's going to change me. Be careful with that. You have to want to let God change you. That's where the free will comes in, okay? God will not force anything upon you. But when you say, God, I want to just read one sentence, I may not understand it, but I want it to change my life, it is going to change your life. I guarantee it. You, you will not go wrong. If you want God to do it, he will make it happen. Even just one sentence. And that one sentence could mean something to you. Or, a lot of times what I tell people, read one sentence, if it doesn't make any sense, go back a little bit, maybe five or six sentences, read, and then come forward five or six sentences, and read, and see if it means something. If it still doesn't, read the whole chapter. If it still doesn't mean anything, just close it up, don't overdo it, don't burden yourself, and say, God, help me understand what I just read. And he will. Maybe not right away, but he will. We're dealing with someone who wants you to know him intimately. But you've got to want it. He's not going to just pour open your head and pour it all in. I wish he would, but then what fun would that be? We wouldn't get to know him. We wouldn't get to enjoy him. We just know everything, right? We'd be like the Pharisees. They knew it all, but they didn't have a relationship with God. Many of them didn't. Some of them did. But what this does is it establishes a relationship with him. Think about somebody who's your best friend. How they become your best friend. Did they just come up to you one day, tap you on the shoulder, and say, hey, I'm your best friend, and then go on about their life? No. You talked a little bit, got to know each other, then you may go on home and say, you know, I really like that person. I want to meet that person again. And you talk some more, and then they tap you on the shoulder and say, here I am. You're like, hey, nice to see you. That's what God wants. He doesn't want to just pour it all on you. He wants you to come to him because 
He has put in you, every single one of us, he has put in us the desire to know him. That's why you're here tonight. Whether you realize it or not, that's why you're here tonight. Because he put that desire in you to know him. And this is part of how we do it. Okay? So don't let the size get to you. If it takes you three years or five years or the rest of your life to read the whole Bible, it's worth it. Here's another thing. You do not have to start, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a great place to start. It's a great story. The whole book of Genesis, if you've never read it, I don't care if you don't understand it, it's okay. It's an amazing story. It is basically a novel. 50 chapters, it's, it takes a little bit of a time investment, but it's worth it because you learn about all these characters. I want to tell you from my own personal life, what happened with me is I didn't go to church much as a child, but maybe six times, Christmas and Easter or something going on, maybe a wedding. But when I started going to church, <laughs> I was about two years in, somebody's like, he needs to teach Sunday school. I didn't know anything. So I go into this Sunday school class with kindergartners, okay? They were a lot of fun. And they give me this felt board. And there's a guy named Jacob. Who's Jacob? I know some of you right now are saying, I don't know who Jacob is. I didn't know who Jacob was until I decided, God, I'm going to read the Bible. You help me read the Bible. And I go to Genesis, and I'm like, there's Jacob. Hey, that's pretty cool. I get to know, and I got to learn all about Jacob and everything he did. And then it was Joseph. That was another person on the felt board. Didn't know who he was. Oh, I just finished with Jacob. Joseph is Jacob's son. And oh, here's what Joseph did. He became a king. And you know what? The first time I read the Bible, I was like, okay, that's cool. And then someone said something about Joseph being the king of Egypt. And I'm like, I read the Bible. I don't remember that. So I went back and read it again. And guess what I realized? Joseph was the king of Egypt at one point. Learned it the second time around. So what I'm saying is you may not learn it all the first time around. But I'm going to tell you this. Reading that Bible the very first time changed my life in significant ways. I didn't become perfect. I'm still not perfect. But it changed me a lot. Mostly on the inside things that I didn't know that God was preparing me for a time such as this. This very day. This very week. This very year. So, if that hasn't encouraged you to read the Bible, then let's talk about how unorganized it is. I mean, it's 66 books. Hey, wait, did we hear that number? Six? Number of man? Double? Two sixes? Witness for man? Hey, I wonder if that's why the Bible... Yes, that's why the Bible is 66 books. God knows what he's doing. It's a witness for man. Okay, so 66 books by 40 different authors. What's 40? I don't know if I think I put 40 on here. 40 is, um, it has a lot of significance with generations and also with um, completion. But it, see, like four being the Messiah, we take that times 10. So four times 10, Messiah plus the witness of faith. There you go, 40. Messiah's witness of faith. So anyway, 66 books by 40 different authors. 6640. 
Remember that number, 6640. If you ever hear, you'll hear people talk all the time, there's websites that have 6640 in their name. There's probably a 6640.com if we were to look it up. But 6640 is kind of like a code word for the Bible. So if the whole world starts to fall apart and we have to go underground, we start using the word 6640. Like, hey, you're talking about the Bible. Okay? Now, that's, hopefully that will never happen in our lifetime. But anyway, that's just a, a neat little tidbit. So it is organized, though. On that one page, page one, I have a couple of the ways that it's organized. But even more than that, this book is one story about one person. Anybody know who that is? Jesus. It's one story about, wait a minute, Phil. Genesis has Jesus in it? Yep. And that's one of the things we're going to learn. Joseph. Such a pattern of Jesus. So many ways. But we'll, we'll talk about that when the time comes. It is organized in that way. It may seem unorganized, especially if you read it all the way through from Genesis to the end, because you're going to get to places like Isaiah. And you're saying, hmm, I know I've heard this king's name, but I don't remember where. Well, it was somewhere in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. But as you read it more, you will be able to pick out, oh, okay, so King Hezekiah was the one who got sick, and you'll start to remember these things. Now Isaiah's talking about him. Hey, I can tie that back to 1 Kings, or 2 Kings, actually, 2 Kings. So those are the things that we'll, you'll start to pick up as you read the Bible. Now, that's not going to happen overnight. But if you've ever read it all the way through once, if you read it through again, you might start to pick up those things. If you've never read it all the way through once, get the foundation, and then let God build on it from there. So it is organized, though it seems like it's completely disorganized. It was written thousands of years ago. Sure. but doesn't mean that it's not significant for today. In fact, it is the only book, it's the oldest book known to man. I'm sure people wrote things down on rocks or cave walls, and you know we know that there's cave paintings, and they mean something. They're stories. But they haven't really stood the test of time. And not a, How many cave paintings have you read in the last year? I, I haven't read any. <laughs> in fact, in the last 52 years, I haven't read any, okay? This book has stood the test of time because it is from God. That's one of the reasons why it is still around today. So yeah, it's old, but it's still around today, and it still has significance in our lives. It still has a lot of significance in our lives. And what was the other thing? I forgot now. Too big, disorganized, um, don't have time, don't understand it. Okay. The time thing, that's up to you. I can't give you the time. I can't force you to take the time. But I do know this. If you say to God, I would like to read more, or I would like to read it all the way through, whatever it may be, I'd like to read it once a day, once a week. Start with once a month. Read it 12 times this year, just a couple pages, if that's where you want to start. Whatever it is. If you go to God and say, I need your help at least getting this little bit, he will help you. He will. 
But if you say, no, it's just not worth it, okay, you'll still go to heaven, but you're going to miss out on a lot. You really are going to miss out. It is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. And I did not understand it at all the first time I read it. Not at all. I understood who Jacob was the first time I read it. But there was so much. And I would hear people say, well, this person, this person named Jezebel did this. I'm like, that's in the Bible? I don't remember that. That's okay. You don't have to know every character because I'm sure there's hundreds. I don't even, that'd be an interesting thing to know. How many different unique characters are there in the Bible? I'll try to find that out. I'm sure there's probably close to 1,000. You don't have to know them all. You don't ever have to know them all. There's kings in here that I still, every time I read it, like, I don't remember reading that. That's okay. Because what is going to happen if you want to know more, God will lead you and help you remember what you need to remember. He works with each one of us individually. What I find fascinating, you might find boring. We'll find out in the next couple weeks, because I'm going to pull out some of the things I find fascinating. We'll see what you guys think. So take the time if you want it, and he will help you understand it. And hopefully, you'll at least be reading a little bit more. Which one do I read? That's another thing. Which book, which Bible should you get? I say get whatever one works for you. If it's the message, here, I'll read you something from the message. Does anybody, has anybody ever read the message? That's what Tanya has, the message. I'm sure some of you probably have heard it if you have not read it. But here, I'm going to read from the message. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. That's John 3.3 from the message. Listen to those words. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see to what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. And then if we go to the more common NIV, Jesus replied, Very truly I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's John 3.3. 3. How about this one? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That was King James Version. So pick whatever works for you. If it's King James, then by all means use King James, if you can understand it. Some of the easier ones to understand are the NLT, New Living Translation, NLT, the Message, or MSG. Those are the, probably the two easiest. And then um, there's the Good News Bible is kind of easy. The contemporary English version is kind of easy. Um, just find something, Google it. What's the easiest Bible to read? It doesn't matter. Why do I say it doesn't matter? Because there will be people that would fight with me and say, it does matter. You've got to read King James only. You've got to read NASB. If you're doing Bible study, then this is one of the more word-for-word more -word literal translations, sometimes hard to read because it's such a literal translation. It's called the NASB, New American Standard Bible. They've made it a little bit easier with the 2020 version, but 
NASB is, is really true to the actual literal translation. That's why I have it for Bible study. But if I want to understand something, I'll turn to the message and get that person's point of view to find out, you know, I'm not quite understanding this, so I turn to the message. Okay, so just find one that works for you. Where do you start? This is a fun one. God had me start in 1 Samuel, okay? Doesn't mean everybody has to start in 1 Samuel. Where's 1 Samuel? It's towards the beginning, about eight or nine books in, roughly. I can't remember exactly. So it's towards the beginning of the 66. But if you ask me where to start, I'm going to tell you JAR. J-A-R. John Acts Romans. They're all three together. They're all in the New Testament. So they're towards the back of the book. Okay? You find John. It's kind of long. You find Acts. It's even longer. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a time investment to read JAR. But what you're going to get is you're going to get the Gospels. You're going to read all about Jesus from, from the time he was baptized, even before he was born, to the time he was baptized, to some of the miracles he performed, his death on the cross. You're going to learn a lot about Jesus. Okay? Then you're going to go to the book of Acts, and you're going to read about what happened after Jesus died and rose again and went into heaven. And you're going to read about a guy named Paul. Funniest thing in the Bible, one day he's called Saul, the next chapter he's called Paul, okay? And there's no explanation for it, okay? So just when you read about this guy named Saul, and he becomes Paul, and it's, he's important because he's the one who wrote Romans. And Romans is going to teach you all about salvation, what it means to be a sinner, how to find salvation. There's a verse in there that will probably be a memory verse one of these times, and that is, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans chapter 10. So it's very important. It teaches you how to find salvation by calling upon the name of the Lord, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus died for you. And then you call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So that's why I say read jar. From there... Go to Genesis or say, God, where do I go? And I tell you what, if you ever do this sometime and you open it up and it's right at the beginning of a book, read that one. That was not a coincidence. That was God that took you there. Okay? If you end up in the middle of it, just keep trying until you get it right. No, I'm just kidding. Just ask God, ask God, where should I go? And just listen. Just, you know, whatever thought comes to mind. Don't argue with him. Don't say there's no way I'm going to 1 Kings. Okay? If you like history, you'd like 1 Kings. If you have a particular person you want to learn about, you don't know where he is in the Bible. I want to know about David. Okay, Google, where is... My phone went off. <laughs> where, is... where is David in the Bible? And it will come up and say, 1 Samuel. Start 1 Samuel. Read about David through 1 Kings. That's three books that you have to read. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and 1 Kings. Okay? So, just let God lead you in whatever you do. So I have to ask you a couple questions. Do you want it? 
You don't have to say yes or no. You don't have to nod your head or anything. Just in your mind, just do you want this? If the answer is yes, don't tell me. Tell God. Say, God, I want this. That's all you've got to say. It's just that simple. God, I want this. He knows your thoughts. He knows what your heart's desire is. And he will guide you and lead you in every part of this. I will help you with giving you some of the really interesting things and tying, tying the Old Testament to the New Testament, showing you how the numbers come into play. I'll teach you all that. But God will lead you. Because I can't do the work that God can do. When you say to God, I want this, he does a work that no man can do in you. No man or woman can do. Only he can do it. He enters into your heart and he works in you. He alters your mind. He leads you. He guides you. He makes, helps you make the right choices. And your life will change permanently. So we've got five minutes left. Is there, are there any questions? I kind of went off on a tangent there, but I think it was a good one. I have the New American Standard Bible, N-A-S-B, New American Standard. This is the 2020 version. The previous one was 1995. This one's a lot easier to read than the 1995, um, but this is a pretty difficult Bible to read, though. But if you want to do Bible study and really dig in and know what the mo most accurate meaning is... This is one of the ones to get. If you want it easier to read, New Living Translation, NLT, the scouts are downstairs. The message, um, I wouldn't recommend the NIV so much. as if, It's easy, but it raises other questions. Yes, yeah, see, that's um, a concordance um, is, I think that's the right term. There's a lot of, mine doesn't have anything at the bottom, but, you know, this could be an NLT and still not have anything at the bottom because that's just the, the style of the Bible. It's not, like, there are NLTs that have that. There are NIVs. There are NA, I have an NASB that has all that at the bottom. Mine has 1557 pages. 1557, okay. Yeah, so much extra, right. Yeah, that, that, that is good too. Um, there was a time when someone tried to tell me, just take a pen and scratch all that out. But no, it's good stuff. I mean, God is the ones doing the work, not, not the people who wrote this, not the person who told me to scratch it all out. God's doing the work. So that stuff's helpful too. He'll use whatever to help you. So yeah, it's helpful. Um, Oh my, there's a lot. There, females are very, very um, prevalent in the Bible. Yeah. And they're not prevalent in leadership positions all the time. Some of them are. But they're, they are in there more than you would think. Um, now, maybe only mentioned a couple times, but they're in there. And part of that is because while the men were out working, it was the women who were saying, this is what God said in the book of Joshua, and they were telling their children. So they would kind of work in and get some names in there. Now, you might say, how is that inspired by God? Well, because God was the one telling them to put the female names in there. So, yeah, there's a lot of women in the Bible, more than you might think.
One quick note, in case anybody has one of these. I know NIV does this, and I think, um, I think NLT might do this too, the New Living Translation. Um, there's certain verses, if you, now nobody typically, I know I don't, when I'm reading like, say, John chapter 3, I don't say, okay, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. I don't do that. I might pick a verse where I'm going to stop for the night, or if I don't finish the whole book, but I don't go, sit there and go verse by verse. But there are people that do. And almost always they'll stop me and ask me, why isn't this verse in the Bible? There are verses missing. And I'm going to tell you why. Verses were not, chapter and verse was not added until the Geneva Bible, 1500 and something. That's a long time after Jesus died. I mean, if you read a Greek New Testament, there's no punctuation. You have to know where to stop from one sentence to the next. All the words are just run together. And if you know how to read Greek, you can do that. I can't do that. I looked at it once and I went, I don't know where to start on this. You don't know the beginning. There's no indentations. Okay? That was all added for readability. The chapter and verse was added for readability. Okay? But then, so the King James Version has all of them because it was a very early English Bible that was translated, and they kept the chapter and verse. But then we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we said, hey, you know what these, this was in 1949, I think. You know, we're looking at these manuscripts. They're probably some of the oldest manuscripts we have. And then we go back and look at the King James Version, and we're like, this is in here, this verse is in here in the King James Version, but it doesn't match up. Everything matches up except for that one verse, and these are older than what the King James Version was put together with. So we're just going to take this one out when we create the NIV. We're going to leave that verse out. So you go from 1233 to 1235. I, I, I'm not sure if 1234 is one of the ones missing. I know it's somewhere in chapter 12. But anyway, they just leave it out, okay? So unless you're going number by number, you might miss that. Now, this Bible, what they'll do is they'll leave it in, but it'll be italicized. So when I see italicized words, I know that it was questionable whether did it get lost somewhere along the way, or what did someone add to it? So they italicize it. Um, if you want to see this, turn to John chapter 16. Some of your Bibles won't have the last few verses. Some of them will be italicized. And it might even say, it is questionable whether this was added or was inspired by God. Something like that. John, or I'm sorry, Mark 16. Mark 16, not John. Mark chapter 16. So does that mean that the Bible cannot be trusted? No. We're humans. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to get a letter wrong here or there. That's why we have editors. They didn't have editors back when they wrote the Bible, though, okay? <laughs> but, and also, there were people that were nefarious. Mark 7, 14, or uh, don't quote me on that. It's Mark chapter 7, but I can't remember the exact verse. Therefore, Jesus declared all foods clean. No, he didn't. That was added. And some Bibles won't be in there. Some it'll be italicized. Jesus didn't say that because all foods are already clean, and if they're not clean, they're never going to be clean, and they weren't meant to be food. So he didn't declare all foods clean because somebody thought, 
I hate to say this, but bacon's not really supposed to be a food. I know, it kills me. <laughs> All right. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope I didn't bore you. I know I got off on a tangent a little bit, but I really felt it was important to, to cover some of these basics. So next week, we will talk about Ruth and probably a couple other things. But I really want to show you how Ruth is extremely significant. If you know the story of David and Goliath, you may learn something new about Ruth next week. So I'm sure some of you are going to go home and try to figure out, what's the significance of David and Goliath to Ruth? And you're going to know the answer before I tell you next week. But that's okay. That's what the homework's for. Have fun with it. All right, let's pray, and then we'll get out of here, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this night, for allowing this gathering, for having everyone come. And Lord, we know that it's no coincidence that the people who are watching on Facebook or are here in person are here because you nudged them to be a part of this, that you put a desire in them to know you more, whether they have been walking with you for 50 plus years or just starting out wanting to know you more, you brought them here and we are thankful for that. So as the weeks go past, Lord, help us Teach us, guide us, help us to ask the questions that need the answers. Help us to understand what you want us to know and then work in your way in ways that we can't even understand how you work in our lives and how you lead and guide us and make a difference for us. Change our lives, Lord. Renew our minds and help us to be closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.